Thank you that you come, come as you are, as we getting ready for communion, that you that you just come to you and that you in us here. Amen. You may be seated. As we go into communion this morning, I, I just want to encourage us and remind us uh, what we're here for. Um, why do we do communion? Why why do we gather together and and do this ceremonial act? It's to remind us of the things that Christ did on the cross for us. It's to remind us of his power over death, uh, the hope that we have in his resurrection, uh, the fact that our sin was paid for on the cross, that all sin was paid for on the cross. And so as we come and do this this morning, I want to encourage you to wrestle with that reality in your own hearts. Uh, is there a spot in your life where, where you're struggling to trust the Lord? Is there a spot in your life where you find yourself uh, lacking hope? Are you struggling uh, to see that, that God's in control of all the things that are happening around us? That's part of why we take communion, is to be reminded of those things, that, that Christ in his life and in his death and resurrection established a new covenant that abolishes the power of sin over us, that we can live new lives, and that we can live with hope and joy uh, in our daily life as we come. So I want to encourage you to take just a few minutes. So we'll, we'll look at our, our normal passage in 1 Corinthians when we get together. Uh, but we have a, our normal three stations set up. So if you, when you're ready, come forward uh, and take from there and then return to your seats. And we will gather together and take uh, of the, the elements when we are back in our seats. So 
at this time, spend some a few moments in prayer. Consider your heart. Wrestle with that truth. And then when you're ready, come on forward. Or there's a station in the back as well. to myself as I recount the story of the Jews around that, the, the disciples around that table celebrating the Passover and how intense the time was, uh, their, their, the conflict that had grown over that week between the Lord and the Pharisees and all of this stuff that was happening. And, and here they're celebrating this feast, this remembrance of God's passing over them and giving them life, uh, this process. And in the midst, he's betrayed by one of his own. And it's in this setting that he makes this covenant with you and I, who we know uh, in, in Corinthians it says that he did this while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were still enemies. Christ died for us to make this opportunity, to make this covenant and establish it for you and for me. So as we take this, we celebrate it this morning, and we remember what he has done, and we want to honor him in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Let's take together. And in the same way also we took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take. Father, as we consider the reality of your death, of your life, Lord Jesus, how you walked on this earth, you experienced the things that we experience. Hebrews tells us that you are knowledgeable of the testing and the temptations of earth so that you are sympathetic to the challenges that we face. And yet, Lord Jesus, you faithfully obeyed the very nature and character of God, the very person and who you are, which made you flawless and sinless and therefore the only person capable of paying for sin. Lord, would you help us recognize that today as we take this time, as we celebrate this moment in remembering what you did in this new covenant, that we would exalt you and you alone. Amen. You want to stand with us?
that you can rest in your presence and that better we can look forward to better is one day than thousands on mountain thank you that you take us with our foibles and follies and lashless tongues and that we can stand in front of you as christians amen amen y'all take us out and kids you are dismissed morning. I uh, had the privilege of uh, being introduced to somebody this morning. Uh, Nancy Albrecht walked up to me and said, good morning, are you new here? So I, I'm not new here, uh, but I have been gone the last couple of weeks and, and we've had some uh, just amazing time. I uh, really appreciate your prayer for the elders and our time away with our brides. Uh, had an amazing uh, just couple of days of fellowship. And I uh, learned some new stories uh, about one another that I think will be, you know, will come up later in sermon illustrations possibly. Probably not. But it was a very, very good time. And uh, I, I, it was just, um, I think, very needed. And, and so um, glad to be back, glad to be here, glad to be back into Jeremiah and uh, really enjoying our study there. Uh, this week we're in chapter 30. And um, it's it's one of those one of those weeks where uh, I, I think we're going to find it very challenging. But I also hope that you'll see the joy and the hope that God is offering in the midst of uh, the difficult part. How many of you guys have ever been to, told to suck it up or pull yourself up from your bootstraps? Any anybody? Okay, so you kind of know that experience. Uh, you, you know, we raised four boys, and so there was a season in our life where, where you know, a little bit of blood or or a crash and burn somewhere did not result in uh, a call to the ER. It helps to have had an ER nurse as a mother. That does help. Uh, but there were there were times where, where where we would have you know crashes and burns and fights and things that would that would happen because they were so active and they were they were so busy that man had we just stopped everything that we were doing for every time that there was a bump or a bruise we would have gotten nothing done. And so there were definitely times where we're like hey. Throw some mud on it, you'll be fine. There's times in our lives, I think, where where we think of that as being the 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 you know kind of the tough guy or the the American way to to pull our boots up and do that. But there's also a time in our lives when we see an, an illustration. We're going to see it today in the text where God goes, "I'm only doing what's right." 
I, I'm just in my behavior, and unfortunately, your decisions have led you uh, to this point. I remember the time that I got my first and only speeding ticket, by the grace of God. It's only been one, which is a miracle. If any of you know how I drive and, and my lifestyle of, of being young and liking to drive fast cars, it's a miracle I've only had one. But I remember the moment that I got the ticket because uh, I was passing another car and, and uh, somebody came around the corner of the other direction and it was a little bit tight and, and uh, my tires crossed over the, the uh, no-passing zone. Like I went from a passing zone into a no-passing zone and the officer pulled me over and, and he, he, let, you know, he asked me what, what was wrong and, and I'm like, well, I was, anyway. And he gave me a $500 ticket for reckless driving. Now, you have to understand at that point, I was whining a little bit because I'm like, I was not, I actually wasn't, <laughs> how do I say this on TV uh, <laughs> being recorded? Uh, that wasn't my worst bit of driving that day. Like it wasn't, it wasn't some of the more, anyway, um, the reality of it was, is that I was, he was justified in, in his process because when, when you look at the law and you look at what happened, I had, I had done what he accused me of, but there was a, a moment in my life, there was a short period of time where I was like, that's not right. I, you know, this, this was too much money and I shouldn't have to pay this. And um, even my insurance company agreed with me and didn't, didn't ding my account because I'd had such a stellar driving record up to that point. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. But I felt like I was justified in arguing. And so I went to court to argue my case. And the judge looked at me and goes, you're a twit. And he reduced the penalty, but I paid a ticket. It was the first and only speeding ticket I ever got, and I felt it felt unjustified. And, and uh, Israel has actually, or Judah has actually repeated that cry to the Lord as he's brought accusations against them in Jeremiah. And they've even said at points, what have we done? To, to, to warrant such behavior from you. And in Jeremiah, he's repeatedly stated his case of the behavior, the idolatry, the, the, the wretchedness of their behavior. And today we're going to see the Lord engage with them again in, in chapter 30. Uh, if you have in your bulletins, I, I hope you have a bulletin. I didn't actually look in there to see. Does it still have the, the date chart in there? We've been trying to put the charts in there so you can kind of see the timeline of when these things are happening. Chapters 30 and 31, uh, we believe, the, the scholars believe, it's somewhere around uh, the fourth year of Zedekiah. It's in that time frame, so this is still before the end, but it's in the midst of the end, and it's coming. Uh, the, uh, the first group has been removed from Judah uh, into the ba uh, to Babylon, and they're in the process of being under siege and having all of this stuff happen again, and the Lord is offering this to Israel. Follow me. We're only going to read Jeremiah chapter 30, starting in verse 10. We'll pick up verse 10. It says this, Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make an, a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. 
For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. The very first thing that, that we have to, you have to recognize in this process is God's reminding Judah, I will save you, right? Did you see that in the very beginning? He says, I, there's hope for you. There's going to be a restoration. I'm going to restore you from the, from the distance places that I've sent you, from captivity. You'll be returned to the land, and you're going to be restored. It's one of the great things that we, I think we struggle with in the concept of dealing with God, right? How he can use discipline or difficult things for our good. That in that, in his discipline, it leads to hope. How many of you ever heard your parents say, this is for your good? Right? And as a child, we're like, they had their minds. But when you become a parent, you all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness. You have to do things for their good that they don't like. In fact, I don't even like most of it. And yet, as a parent, we do things for our children for their good that, that isn't comfortable at times. In God's economy, his discipline leads to hope. Look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, we see this in verse 11 and 12. It says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. Amen? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, do we really believe it, though? I mean, when you think about your life, do you say, God, thank you for the discipline in my life. Thank you for the times that you've corrected my bad behavior. Do we? Uh, may, afterwards, maybe. Later on, it's a little bit easier to go, ah, I see what you were doing. That's wonderful. And I think often we are much like the, the people of Judah where, where we are frustrated with God's engagement in our life because he's not given us what we want. But he's given us what we need. And so often when we're addressing the Lord, uh, I, I love the, the couple passages we're going to look at here. Um, have really been an encouragement to me. But, but, but the second point that I'm asking and that I'm wrestling with in our text today is why do you cry? That's the response that God actually asks is, uh, Judy. He says, why, why are you crying about this? Why are you whining or crying about the discipline that you have, right? Did you guys see that in the text? He actually asks them specifically why, in verse 15, why do you cry? Over your hurt, your pain is incurable because your, your guilt is great because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. And even up in verse 11, he says, I will discipline you in just measure and I will by no means leave you unpunished. 
The very, the very specific nature of his character requires him to address the issues of sin. Isn't it interesting in Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 28, Paul's talking about some of these very things that are happening. And, and remember, he, the, Paul's writing to the Roman church at this point. He's helping them to have a clear view of the gospel. And he, he writes this in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind uh, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. Oh, wait, that was it's only in there one time, sorry. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You know, if we took that list and we went through and we did a word study on all of those things, uh, we might be able to throw a couple of them out and go, Phew, we're not having a problem with that one. But the challenge is, is that when Jesus is talking to his disciples in the Beatitudes, when he's doing his Sermon on the Mount, he takes murder and adultery, and he says, murder, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you're guilty of adultery. He takes these, these rules, these, the laws that are present, these horrible things that we're looking at here, and he says he, he takes it away from just the act and makes it into a heart issue. Do those sins seem flagrant? That's the very accusation that God brings against the people of Judah. I think it's the very intent that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount was to help us understand how God sees sin and to recognize the arrogance and the flagrant uh, posture of sin in our own lives. Do we gossip? Do we slander others? Is there any envy or, or, or deceit or maliciousness in our behavior? Are we boastful? I believe at times it's very easy for me to become comfortable with looking at Judah and say, oh, those horrible people. And yet, as we see the very character of God, it exposes in us similar issues. I love that, that uh, God actually uses in this text uh, the ver almost an, an exact statement out of his introduction to Israel back in um, Exodus 34. And I know we read this from time to time in this process, but it's important for us to be reminded of this truth. Exodus 34, verse 6 says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The very righteous nature of God compels him to, to actually address the issues of sin that are on this earth, and, and he will. Does he do it in our time frame? Nah. 
Because if it was my time frame, everybody else had a sin of problem would be dealt with, and I'd get lots of mercy. Right? I mean, that's, that's how we do it. If you, if, you look at, if you look at your church, if you look around you, if you've got somebody in the church that's not doing something you, you like, or, or um, I, you know, I, I had issues where I had issues with uh, fellow co-workers in ministry in the, back in, in the early days of my youth as a youth pastor, and I thought to myself, Lord, why are you letting him get away with that? Thank goodness he didn't judge me the way I was judging him. The very nature of God, he says, I am just. Do you see that in verse 11? I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. The consequences of sin are great. I think the arrogance of sin is great. And when we're wrapped up in it, when we don't see our own issues, we become very, very difficult to deal with. And Judah was at that point. Did, do you see the language he's using? You're incurable. That's always exciting, right? The problem that you, I, I love, uh, how many of you, get, anybody seen Cool Runnings? It was the Jamaican bobsled team. It's one of my favorite movies. And one of my favorite lines is, uh, the, one of the guys says, whatever's wrong with you is no small thing. I love that line. It's like one of my favorite lines in the movie. And, and it is, it's very, very weak in comparison to what God's saying to the people, but it's very much like that. God's looking at their heart condition and saying, this is, you're incurable. There's no medicine for this. There's no way to solve this problem for you as a, as a culture, as a people. And I believe he knew that from the very, very beginning. Continuing in Romans chapter 2, Paul continues to speak to this, and it's, I believe it's a, it's a great challenge for us to consider. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, of wrath when, God, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by uh, patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Remember that list that he just did in, in Romans chapter 1, the end of that Dealing with murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, disobedience to parents, all of those things. He, he's literally looking at the, the people and saying, be careful how you're addressing this because when you're judging other believers, when you're judging other people for this behavior and yet you're doing it yourself, all you're doing is storing up wrath for yourself. You're becoming judge and you're placing yourself over these people. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Recognize your own sin. Look at your own issues. But it's hard to see our own stuff, isn't it? Have you guys ever noticed that? How many of you are really comfortable with your mess in your life? Now, <laughs> like nobody's there. What? My house isn't messy? I'm not talking about your house. I mean the goofy, goofy things that we do. 
the goofy, messy stuff that we do in relationships, in, in our patterns of life. Like, we'll just, let's just take a really safe one. Speeding. How many of you are okay with five miles an hour of the speed limit? Amen. Why do I say that? Because I believe it's a Christian thing to do. The law enforcement allows it to happen. I happen to know a few of them. They're totally okay with it. It's true. So when the law enforcement allows you to go five over, now when you start creeping up into seven and ten over, you know, we all know we're like, ooh, we're on the edge. What are we on the edge of? Getting a ticket, which means we've done what? Broken the law, which means we're in what condition? Did somebody just equate speeding with sin? That's horrible. No, but look at the heart issue that's happening there. And imagine where else we do that with greed, with gossip, with malicious things, with envy, with pride. With our anger in, our, in the church, with how we treat one another. How quickly we can turn those things, we can allow them to become just okay enough that I can dabble over here just a little bit and it won't be a problem. Lord, what, what are you upset about? I'm, I'm not killing anybody. Yeah, but you won't love your brother. Have you met him? The Lord says, yeah, I created him. Just like I created you. It's really hard, I think, at times for us to see our own sin, to see where we are struggling and that's why God's discipline is so spectacularly wonderful. Because he comes in and says, you, you're not doing well in this area, but I love you enough to point that out. You know, that's why he gives us the body, right? Because if, if, like, if we were all perfect, then he would probably have to bring other people in to help us help them be better, right? Yeah. But instead, in the reality of life, he gathers us all together and, and we don't always see things the same way. We don't always agree on, 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 on color of carpet, style of music, uh, what translation to use, uh, stained glass windows. I'm trying to just throw stuff out. TV, I don't know, drums. Uh, we, you know, we have all these things that we can argue about in church. How many, uh, well, never mind. Whew, that was close. That one almost got out. You know, <laughs> When I first started in, in my youth ministry, um, I, I actually dressed almost exactly the same. This style has not gone out in a number of years. But I was told that I was not a good representation of the pastoral staff at our church because I wore jeans and T-shirt to the office during the week. You mean how I dress mattered? Some of you are shaking your head like, yeah, it does. Absolutely. And then s some of us younger guys are like, serious? Really? You see that? We could easily get in a fight over that kind of stuff. God brought us together so that we could see and learn from one another the character of God, the nature of God, and watch it work in the hearts and lives of one another. And the hardest part to do in that, the hardest place to address those things is in our sin. We're talking about, we're talking about the, the, the exterior stuff. I was throwing out simple things around the church that, that unfortunately we can fight over. But what happens when there's sin in our lives? What happens when I need to address issues and, and confess issues of sin? 
Do I have people in, in my life that I'm close enough? Do I have a church body that, that understands the character and nature of God that I can, that I can come to and, and address these issues? You've got to see this. And Paul obviously had some messed up churches in his day, unlike us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at what he says to, these, to this church. And, and unfortunately, I think it points at us just a little bit, so you can, you can make that assessment as we go through. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their again. What is up with that? Hey, I just want you to notice, if you're reading the Bible and God says the same thing more than once, like he says it a couple of different times, we should probably go, hmm, I wonder if that's important to him. It'd be a good idea to look at. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Well, we're not like that, are we? People never appease, never happy. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Do you know the problem I have with that text? The thing that really grabs my heart, that, that stabs deep in me, is when he says that it has the appearance of godliness. Somehow in this group of people that are exercising this type of faith, this type of behavior, they have the appearance of godliness. They seem to be some kind of a religious group that behaves in a way that looks Jesus-like. And Paul says, these are the things that are happening in reality in their hearts. Are we lovers of self? Are we lovers of money? Is there any pride? Any arrogance? Are we abusive to one another? ungrateful, unholy, heartless? Are we unappeasable as a church, as, as individuals? Do we tear down one another? Do we say damaging things about one another in, by slander? Is there any lack of self-control in our culture? As a church, have we become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? Paul's conclusion is that we should avoid such people. Do we see sin the way God does? I don't think I do. I want to. I want to see it more clearly. I want to recognize it more quickly in my own heart. I want to, I want to be wrecked by the propensity for my heart to choose sin, to choose things that dishonor God, that, that defile His reputation, and that break my relationship with Him. 
The writer of 1 John addresses this issue for us as we think about how God views sin and how we're to approach sin in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Isn't this cool? Do you, you guys, we can be encouraged about this. God knows we're messed up. He knows we struggle with sin. He knows it. You're actually not going to shock him when you go and say, Lord, I need to confess a bad attitude today. Really? I cannot tolerate you today. That's not going to be the Lord's response. I know there's times where we as a church, we actually get that response. If somebody came and said, I need to, I need to talk to you, I, I have been harboring bitterness against you about this issue. How do we respond to that? You get a little defensive. Does it hurt our pride? Do we embrace the, the brother or sister and say, thank you for resolving this? I noticed that things weren't okay. What if it's worse? What if we're confessing adultery, murder, lust? I'm, when I say adultery and murder, I'm talking about the, the Jesus' account in Matthew chapter 5 where we're looking to lust or we're hating our brother. What happens if we're confessing that? God knows. So why don't we treat one another with that kind of graciousness? Because it's hard for us to do. This is difficult to look at our sin. It's difficult for us to address our sin and go, I am actually as big a mess or more than you are. Hey, would that work? This is a horrible idea. But maybe for some of us it would work. We could compare sins and see who's worse. It would be like, who needs Jesus more? No, Paul talks about that. We probably should do that whole Romans, don't sin so that grace may abound thing. We, let's, that's a bad idea. How do we address this issue, though? It's present. God knows it. He's pointing it out to the people of Judah. He says, you guys, I see your sin. I'm showing this to you for your benefit. I want you to see this and to be transformed, to be changed. That's why I'm bringing this to your attention. This next passage, it really is more about, it's more about just dealing with my heart issue on this. It's in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into, uh, into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whatever, or excuse me, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Sometimes our arrogance can just be exposed in our own planning. Now, I'm not saying don't make a plan. Some of you who are planners are going, oh, because <laughs> I have a few planners in my life that look at my life and they're like, you need a plan. And it's wonderful because my bride's a planner and she saves me and I have a I'm up to like three planners planning in my life right now. This is crazy. I actually have a program now that I have to look at every day. It's called Planner. Seriously, I do. It like sends me emails and goes, hey, you're late. 
for this thing that you're supposed to get done. It's awesome. But sometimes our arrogance comes out because we don't go to the Lord. We don't rely on the Lord. We're not even looking for him to, to find out what he wants us to do or to address those issues. And James says that if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's sin. He just kind of makes the whole thing a problem, right? Watch, we're going to be heading out down, uh, heading into Liberty Lake, all of us doing 35 and making the other church people angry. They're sitting behind us. Why are these guys driving so slow? Probably not. I do believe it's important for us to look at the question of sin. Do we see sin the way God does? Do we recognize sin in our own lives the way God does? Judah missed it. They were arguing with God. They were complaining. They were, they were debating with him on whether or not he had the right, whether he was just in the punishment that he brought upon them. He walks them through the incurable condition of their sin. And, and why was it incurable? Because their hearts couldn't see it. Their hearts refused to change. And no matter how hard they tried, no matter how many rules and regulations God put around us, we still choose sin over him. That's the condition of the heart of man. Has been from the beginning of time, and I believe except for the grace of God that showed up in Christ on the cross, we would be suffering as we still do suffer with sin. We would be suffering in the same condition as Judah. But God doesn't leave them there. He finishes the whole, that, that, that text that we read this morning in verse 17 of Jeremiah 30. He says, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. He's going to restore the health of his people. He is going to bring healing. And how does he do that? Well, he does that in Christ. He does that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I love this text. It's in Hosea. Jump into Hosea chapter 6. We're going to end with this this morning. I just love it. I don't know if you guys get as excited as I do, but when I find the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, it just, it just fills my heart. Because here we're looking at text that's written hundreds or thousands of years before Jesus gets on the scene, and it's describing things that happen in the crucifixion and through Jesus Christ that only God would have known because people can't, I mean, we can't keep track of stories for hundreds of years. We start messing up. Have you guys ever noticed history seems to get kind of blurry? I even have a hard time remembering what happened last week. Look at what God says through Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, says this, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Isn't that beautiful? God's reminding the nation of Israel, come back, re return to me, recognize who I am. I'm doing this for your good. But then he continues in verse 2 and he says, after two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. What's up with the days? Did you see that? Okay, that's cool, you guys. I just want you to be as excited as I am. That's pretty amazing. Here Hosea is describing a three-day process. Three days. Yeah. Right here in Hosea. Reminding the people that God's got a plan. He even knows the days that it's going to happen in. He's got the details down to this level. 
And then in verse 3, he says this, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Hosea is trying to remind his readers that God is so faithful. God is so true. He knows the days. He knows exactly how he's going to restore the nation down to the day, down to the scenario of a crucifixion, a three-day process. And he says he's so faithful that he's like the dawn going out and he's like the spring rains coming. You can count on him. It's a guarantee. Because God is faithful. That's the God that says, I will heal your wound that you cannot deal with. That's the God who says, in Christ, we are set free from our sins, the bonds of sin. And we have the freedom to come to Christ and confess those sins when we see them, when our brothers and sisters help us, help us see them. And when Scripture points out, we have the freedom to come to Him and confess Him, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is even offering to Judah the, the freedom to, to trust in him, to go through the discipline process because he's promising that he will restore them and he will heal them and he'll save them. That's the God we serve. That's the Messiah of Scripture. That's the Old Testament God of creation who has done all of these things and he said, come and follow me. Walk with me. Have faith in me. Trust me. We dealing with pride? Yep. How do I know? Because if my car breaks down or does something weird, I have a bad attitude. I, I think I've told you guys the Mustang story. I gave it to Jacob to help him become more humble. But that goofy car... The driver's door latch broke. Couldn't get in the driver's side. So I'm climbing through the passenger side. Man, I hate that. Hate that. Then the passenger side broke. Before I got the driver's side broke. So I'm climbing in the back trunk. It's not funny. I was in a supermarket parking lot. I am sure people prayed for me at that moment. I, have a, I struggle with pride, you guys. I struggle with pride. It's a reality of my life. I struggle with many other things. The, the reality is, is that our sin is hard for us to see, and we need to turn back to the Lord. We need to know the Lord and know who He is in Scripture so that it can reveal these things, so that it exposes the darkness of our own hearts. We need to know our relationship with our Lord through our church so that our brothers and sisters can help lean in and help, help address those issues, and we can do that together. And we need to go to Him to solve it. We need to recognize that, that our condition is solved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's where our hope is. That's where our faith is. And I love the fact that Hosea reminds us that this God is outside of time, that He did this in such a sure way that we can confidently trust Him today. Regardless of what's going on in our culture, regardless of what's going on in the world, we can confidently walk with the Lord and say, you are good and I can trust you in this moment. If he can take the nation and he can send them into a foreign land, into captivity and restore them from there and save the whole universe, offer salvation to all who would believe through his son, through this provincial process 
of seeing and doing spectacular things that only a God that is outside of time could possibly do. And he illustrates it in the word for us. That's who we trust. That's who we serve. And that's the relationship that we're invited into when we come to the Lord. I had this great discussion in a youth group last night, or last week. Uh, we were talking about wisdom. What's wisdom? What's well, the ability to take the things that we're learning and apply them, uh, the character of God and the things that we're learning about the Lord, into our activities of life? And so I had some Nerf balls in my hand at the time, dodgeballs, which I guess you just preach with dodgeballs when you're doing a youth pastor thing. I didn't know. But I had dodgeballs, and I said, well, what's wisdom like? And we had this ha, 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 and I said, okay, well, wisdom's like is learning from, you, learning from our time in the Word, learning from our experiences, and I beamed one of the kids with a dodgeball. Just walloped him. It was awesome. And I caught it because it bounced right back to me. I, it was amazing. Obviously, God wanted me to continue. And so I asked him what wisdom was. I said, it's learning from your experiences, and I beamed another one of them. I still had a third one. Actually, I had the second one because the first one, yeah. So I, I asked what wisdom was, and I said, it's learning from your experience. They're like, whoa, 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 enough of that. What happened? They learned. They started to notice that there was a pattern, and they didn't like the results of the pattern. You guys, do we like the results of our pattern all the time? No. I don't like the results of my life when I'm not in the Word, when I'm not listening to the Lord, when I'm not in fellowship with Him. I don't like those results. And we happen to know things that we can do to make that different. We can be in the Word. We can be in prayer. We can be in fellowship with like-minded believers and have them challenge our hearts. I want to encourage you today as you go about your day, the, the great, I think the greatest challenge for us is when we walk out that door, it's like we walk back into the world and, and, and we just kind of reset. Oh, I'm back into daily living. We don't spend a lot of time wrestling with, God, what, what was I supposed to get from today? What are you trying to teach me this week about my relationship with you? I've been wrestling all week with my sinful nature, my tendency to choose sin and to have a hard time seeing it, have a hard time recognizing when I'm doing that stuff and, and how much I like doing some of those things. I like being proud. I do. I love it. It solves some issues in my life. But it creates a whole lot more. I want to encourage you to wrestle with that today. Not just, not now. Well, now. Obviously now. But not just now. But tomorrow, before you go to bed, when you get up in the morning, set your Bible somewhere where you have to trip over. You have to like deliberately go, I am not reading you today. And walk by it. Make it difficult to get around the Word of God in your life. Don't you find it interesting how easily we make sin available? It drives me nuts. I don't want to do that. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I do not want to be like the people of Judah who are arguing with you about your discipline, who are arguing with you about your very character and nature your holiness and your righteousness. Lord, I want to be dependent on you, dependent on your word. And I want to live a life that's transformed by your presence. 
not a life that is indulging the sins of the flesh, that is indulging the, the pride of life and all the stuff that we read about this morning out of Romans and, and 2 Timothy. And God, I, I want to walk with you in, an, in a way that demonstrates the knowledge of my relationship with you, but also the reality, the intimacy of a relationship with you. I desperately, Lord, want to know you in such a way that, that when sin is present, it's appalling to me in my own life. So God, would you help us to do that this week? Would you help us, would you help us set your word in front of us so that we cannot get around it this week? To make it difficult for us to avoid you? Help us to do that. Help us to seek you, to know you, as Hosea challenged. To know the Lord. And to find confidence, God, in your goodness, your faithfulness, and the reality, Father, that you will not fail. So as we go forward this week, I pray that you would transform our hearts, our minds, and that we would come back next week, Lord, seeking you even more, more dependent on you, um, growing in our faith this week. And uh, I just thank you, Lord, that that's what you're doing in, in, our, in my life, and it's a challenge that you place before us. So we give you the glory. We ask that you do everything uh, that you do, Lord, would be done in such a way that only you get the glory. Amen. Let us stand with us for our last song. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been before ever
Now to the one who is able to keep you from, fell, from falling and to cause you to stand, rejoicing without blemish before his glorious presence, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now, and through eternity. Amen. Have a good week. We will see you next time.